Namaste everyone. Um, I'm Prachi Mishra. I'm a graduate student of public policy at ISPP, Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago. I have been working with the highest echelons of polity, Indian polity, for over three years now. And most of my work has been centered around data science and public policy. I usually keep track of ongoing technological developments um, and how they will impact the Indian society and economy at large. I recently joined the Infinity Foundation as a graduate student intern and got familiar with Sri Rajiv Manohar's new book on artificial intelligence and the implications it will have on India. Like all of his other phenomenal works, the book brings to surface fascinating insights. It, it's almost like a wake-up call for all of us. Taking this conversation forward, I'm going to interview Sri Malhotraji about his book, about his views on artificial intelligence and the future it, and the future and what it holds for the future, and his vision for the youth of India. Welcome, sir. Congratulations um, on your new book. Namaste. Namaste. I, I just want my viewers to know that uh, Prati is a good example of the kind of people you want to mentor. Uh, a very brilliant person doing her, she has a computer science background, but she's now applying it to public policy, pursuing an advanced degree in uh, University of Chicago. And as she mentioned, uh, she is working with the highest echelon of the Indian government on this particular issue. Uh, uh, of public policy concerning AI, data sciences, all these kind of things. So she's the perfect person that uh, I decided when she showed interest, I decided that uh, I should accept her as an intern and uh, mentor her. Uh, so here we are. I'm delighted because the kind of discussions she's had with me uh, offline, the kind of inquisitiveness she's showed, the kind of uh, uh, understanding of the serious issues that she shows tells me that this is the voice of our youth that we want to encourage. And so I hope that not only the youth should will learn from this, but I think most grown-ups will learn because AI is an area where some of the young people know more. I'll be very honest with you. Uh, and so uh, here is Prachi, wonderful to see you. So let's get started. Before I begin with the questions, I'll just say that the book is really nicely structured. We all know uh, the, the global discourse on AI, it's, it's fractured, it's dispersed, it's, it's sparse, uh, it's scattered, and it's limited to certain sections of the society. You beautifully classify the entire discourse on AI um, into five major areas which will come into conflict when AI becomes mainstream. And you've called these conflicts as battlegrounds. It, it seems like we'll be at war or at yuddha with AI when it becomes widely accepted and adopted. Uh, before, I, before I begin a conversation on these five battlegrounds, uh, there's, there's a quite general question I want to ask. Since its advent, AI has been seen as the savior which will uh, rescue people, societies, governments, economies out of all their miseries. But in your book, you've provided a contrary view. So could you please share your thoughts on why if AI is adopted in the present state of India, it will bring more problems than benefits? Well, you know, uh, I, I'm not saying it will bring more problems necessarily, but it will disrupt society. Uh, I, want to, I want to say that uh, whenever there's an equilibrium, uh, which means many forces are balanced, there, there's a dynamic equilibrium, many things are in balance, something new comes, it disrupts the equilibrium. A new technology will always disrupt the equilibrium because some people will use it better than others. Some has more access to it than others. Uh, it may create some jobs for some people, lose jobs for others. So the disruption of Indian society 
or any country's society is going to happen. So it's, it's not just uh, uh, the case that uh, everything goes hunky-dory like before and problems get solved, but there is no disruption. That's not the case. You, the, the foundations of Indian society, politics, economics, education, industry, defense, all of these will be disrupted by AI. So it may be good stuff that will happen and it may be some not so good stuff will happen, but to deal with a disruption uh, is a challenge. You have to be understanding it. Uh, it's a new game. It's like the old chess game has been replaced by a new game. So now you need to learn new rules. So that's the wake up call is that our leaders and all sections of society have to be re-educated in this thing. This is the new game and, and we have to learn how to play it. Okay, sir, you've just mentioned about creation of jobs or maybe the, the employment sector in general. So that's, that's one fundamental area which needs attention. Some experts claim that AI will lead to creation of millions of jobs. Some other experts who are rather skeptical of AI, they say that, okay, AI will take away a lot of jobs. So what, what is your take on this? Is, is the Indian economy ready for AI? So AI will create millions of jobs and AI will also take away millions of jobs. Both are true. Question okay. is, will it create jobs in the rich areas or poor areas? Will it be people in Bangalore who are highly educated getting jobs? And will it be that poor people in Bihar will lose the jobs? So, you know, you could have 1 million new jobs and 1 million old jobs gone uh, and, be ha and yet have a big disruption uh, because it's not the average that matters. The point is every local village has to be looked on its own way. Some villages, some towns, districts are dependent on certain uh, economies, certain sectors, certain uh, occupations, which might not be viable anymore. And they, as far as they're concerned, the problem will be serious. Uh, and, and in some other places, maybe new jobs will be created. So you have to look at the, the impact of AI on a district by district level. This has not been done. You, there are certain regions, certain states that will be devastated because what they are manufacturing will not be viable. And some other states will get new jobs. This depends on where the AI talent is available, where the new uh, industries are created. So let me just give you an example uh, on a global scale. If driverless cars become very popular, a few million people, maybe tens of millions of pe people around the world, in Africa, Latin America, India, various places in the United States, will lose jobs. A lot of drivers will lose jobs. But then new jobs will be created by Tesla and various uh, driverless car manufacturers. But the location of the new jobs created will not be the same place where the old jobs are destroyed. So if I'm a driver in uh, you know, some small town in USA, and I lose my job, it doesn't do me any good that some other guy in Silicon Valley got a new job. If I lose my old job and somebody else gets a new job, it doesn't help me that they got a new job. So the disruption of jobs is going to happen because the, the impact of AI is so severe in creating new industries, destroying old industries. Let me give you an example. In uh, Before iTunes and other uh, ways of downloading music. There used to be a music industry where you would go and buy a CD or a DVD. Yeah. And mm -hmm. there was a record chain in USA called Sam Goodies. Sam yeah. Goodies was a, uh, there were tens of thousands of Sam Goodies. Every store, every corner, every market had a Sam Goodies and you would go there and buy your records, buy your music. Now with iTunes, a new industry was created. 
a new way of publishing your music. And all the old record labels like RCA Records, Columbia Records, Sony Records, they took a big hit. They took a very big hit. And uh, Sam Goody's and other retail stores took a big hit. So a whole old ecosystem destroyed, vanished. And iTunes created a new ecosystem with new jobs. So Apple got a lot of new jobs. And other people like Apple uh, in the download business got, and got new jobs. So there was a disruption, although there was overall new jobs also created. So that's the uh, impact of AI on jobs that I'm foreseeing. So uh, this almost sounds like the, the gap between haves and have-nots will widen it in some sense. So what is your take on that? Yeah, one of the things I mentioned in this book uh, a lot is that there will be new haves and new have-nots. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the biggest uh, people uh, in wealth terms, all these Zuckerberg and all these uh, uh, Eric Schmitz and all these guys, they were not, so, they were not among the richest uh, you know, 20 years ago. They're, many of them are new people. And the previous list of very rich people are no longer that rich. Look at companies. Look at companies. Uh, you know, even IBM is gone down in its ranking. Uh, Exxon, uh, General Motors. So entirely new companies are the trillion-dollar market cap companies. There is a, there are new haves and new have-nots. This is this has always been the case. You look at any disruption when the uh, when the industrial revolution happened in Britain. Uh, you know, a lot of old jobs were destroyed and new jobs were created and a new economy was created. But the people who got the new jobs were in Manchester, places like that in England. And the people who lost the old jobs were in India. A lot of steel manufacturing in India disappeared. A lot of textile manufacturing in India disappeared. So there were new haves and have nots. But the new haves tended to be British people and the new mm -hmm. poor people tended to be Indians. So it is a problem. It is a, it, this is going to be an earth shattering and you will see social issues, social uprisings, political uprisings, more breaking India forces because certain villages which are held in balance will no longer be able to make ends meet. Many migrant workers will be affected. Many migrant workers, tens of millions will be affected. So their village economies will be affected. So I think India needs to study the impact of AI, not top down like uh, PwC has done, FIKI and CII and uh, you know, uh, Cooper, uh, uh, Ernst and Young, many such people are doing. That's great. I like that also. But people need to do the impact of AI bottom up at, at the grassroots level. Each district has its own um, micro economy of some kind. What will AI, what will be the impact of AI uh, uh, at that level? Every state government should be doing studies on AI to make sure that they're going to be okay. We, we've seen in this, this year of coronavirus pandemic that both US and China have been competing for the top slot. Uh, do you think AI will play a dominant role in this race? And are, are the other countries in, in the developing world, in Asia and Africa, are they vulnerable to neo-imperialism and neo-colonialism? So I have uh, a whole chapter on uh, what I call digital colonization uh, and the recolonization of the world. And I have talked about uh, US and China trade war is actually based on AI because China was behind US uh, until it decided to leapfrog ahead using AI. Using AI as a technology, it decided to leapfrog. It made that announcement uh, over a decade ago. And a lot of intellectual property has been stolen. Uh, the US is convinced. And the Chinese, of course, in denial. So this transfer of AI technology from US to China 
is what allowed China to leapfrog ahead. Until then, it, the US felt that, okay, China is developing, but they'll be low tech, medium tech. And even when they aspire to be high tech, they'll still lag behind us. But AI gave them a, an opportunity to leapfrog. So now the US is suddenly very concerned that in defense, China is catching up in, in terms of drones and, and robots. Uh, in many areas, uh, 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 China is on par with the United States. In some areas, it's ahead of the United States. If you go to AI conferences, sometimes the largest contingent of AI papers is from China. And a fact is that the, the largest amount of patents uh, are being filed from China. The largest amount of uh, references to uh, top papers are Chinese papers. Uh, so the research in China is going very strong. They've taken over the American knowledge and then started building on top of it. Uh, so this is, this is the basis for the US-China conflict. Uh, it, they they mm -hmm. talk about 5G and they talk about you know, other things. Those are important. Yeah. But this particular thing is at the foundation of all that. And, and it's made China very tough, brave, audacious, even rash, uh, reckless in some ways, and arrogant, because China is convinced that it's cracked this AI thing and it is so far is trying to move ahead of everybody else in AI. Certainly, China is ahead of India, maybe by as much as a decade. And, and uh, so the geopolitics has shifted. AI is one of the, uh, AI has caused a disruption in geopolitics. And when I talk about AI in this book, I'm not talking only about, you know, AI algorithms and machine learning. I'm talking about all the applications to robotics, to uh, drones, to, uh, you know, semiconductors and the, the role of semiconductors, semiconductors combined with AI, quantum computing combined with AI. I'm talking about drug discovery. So I'm talking about uh, the efficiency of automation factories, uh, you know, social harmony and, and hacking societies, hacking societies with AI algorithms. So I'm talking not only about just pure AI itself, but all the ways that AI links with other technologies and other areas, other disciplines. This is, this is going to change uh, geopolitics. I predict that uh, just like Britain and France were competing for colonies, you know, 200 years ago, yeah. they were competing for colonies. Yeah, yeah. They were having wars. The Dutch East India Company, the French East India Company, the Danish East India Company, the British East India Company, etc., were fighting each other for territory. And there were wars uh, in India between French uh, soldiers and British soldiers and Dutch soldiers and all that going on. I predict that the US and China are going to become imperial powers. China is already grabbing uh, Africa, uh, Latin America, large parts of Latin America. US is mm -hmm. woken up and saying, you know, we also got to get going on this. So I see that neither of them wants to be second uh, to the other. Uh, they will each have their own colonies and territories. So for example, Pakistan is already a Chinese colony, is my, is my uh, belief. Uh, China would like to turn Nepal into a Chinese colony. Uh, China is going to bring out a, a lot of uh, money and assistance to uh, places like Iran. And mm -hmm. Iran and Pakistan in between is Afghanistan. And with the withdrawal of U.S. troops uh, and India not having access to the ocean directly into Afghanistan, it's very difficult in the long run to protect uh, uh, Afghanistan from falling into this. And China is the one that stands to gain a lot. Uh, and so I think the superpower war, the hmm. clash of superpowers is a clash of colonial powers of the future. And each of them is going to claim colonies. The question, the question my book raises is, where is India? How robust is India? 
how what if uh, if you do a stress test on india's resilience where does india end up that's what the book is asking uh, the thought leaders of india to do which leads to another fascinating question what changes do you anticipate in the policy landscape of india where do you see the uh, political and economic systems of india going where where are they going that's something you should tell because <laughs> you are working in the you're working in the top level of indian government policy making uh, you would know <laughs> better i i am an outsider i have not been consulted i have not been uh, brought in to i have given many proposals i have written to many people i not only have written publicly but on this ai by the way i have had lots of private conversations uh, okay i am now disclosing those ideas publicly uh, most of them uh, but for a while i thought i'll just try privately to try and get my message across but you know not there was no traction so all i can tell you is what i would like to see uh, i i cannot but the book points out in details many of the uh, issues of uh, concerning policy that i think we should change now regarding data protection uh, which is at the heart of this whole thing Uh, i'm glad that chris gopalakrishnan is uh, leading a, a committee uh, and uh, there are people very involved in that i'm very glad that and he's one of the best guys in this in the world uh, uh, i'm very glad that niti ayog is very active in this uh, but so far looking at the policies that are publicly available i think there's a lot more work to be done and also there's a big difference between a policy paper which is a proposal versus a law and then there's a big difference between a law and what's being enforced uh, yeah. so I, i what matters is what's being enforced i point out issues in this book where at the level at the ground level there are quite a lot of huge problems huge leakages going on as we speak and 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 i think to change the thinking of the leaders on a very large scale at the central level state level media level think tanks uh you know academics all of that it's going to take a very long time and my concern is that this this problem is accelerating so fast india does not have much time we have to act fast if india brings out an ai law in the future say 2 3 5 years from now will that mean that state gets supreme power over people's personal data no i don't think that's a good idea i don't think that uh, that uh, uh, the indian government having uh, a supreme ownership of uh, people's personal data uh, the way china has is a good idea uh, i i i have better proposals than that uh, and i'm prepared to get into serious discussions on that it's a, it's it, it's an, these are elaborate topics that will take a while to explain but i don't think that the way you protect uh, uh, your data is is to kind of nationalize data nationalization of data would be a bad idea i'm also not happy with this uh, non personal or non private data belonging to a community uh, because you know what will happen is let's say there is a terrorist group and they be, they are a community uh, mm-hmm. and, and there are certain caste or something uh, they will say it's nobody else's business to understand us to pry into us our lives all that we are doing is our private data so you know the data privacy belonging to a collective entity uh, can backfire because it could it could uh, ruin national security uh, it could also uh, encourage uh, communities mm-hmm. to become a little cocoon and separatist and and uh, you know this data owned owned collectively by a a community a jati uh, which has a separatist tendency uh, could actually be dangerous so uh, the issues are more complex uh, than just uh, you know uh, private data and non private data non private data can be claimed by some community 
uh, and government has oversight and owns all the data. I think the issues are far, far more complex. And uh, I really wish well uh, the people who are doing it. They are smart people, uh, but a lot of work has to be done. I do not think that the laws as they presently exist are sufficient. Uh, moving on from this discourse, which is on data, privacy, protection, security, we'll move to one very fascinating chapter of your book. I, I really enjoyed reading it. And it's around human psyche and thinking. Um, one, of the, one of the chapters of your book opens with a scary insight, and I'll just paraphrase that. It says that as machines get smarter, growing number of humans are going to become dumber. So um, do you think AI will manage to hack into human thinking and psychology, human psychology? And is AI the mastermind behind fake news and the ever prevalent confirmation bias? My book uh, very, makes a very strong statement. I, I'm, uh, I know it will uh, concern some people, but I want to shake them up so I can discuss it. As machines are getting smarter, people are getting dumber. So let me explain what that means. There is more and more dependence and reliance on uh, you know, Google search, on what, which posts are prevalent on Facebook, uh, uh, which are the videos that are boosted on, uh, on YouTube, uh, what does Wikipedia say. Uh, people have start, started shifting their adhikar, adhikar or to these devatas. I call, them, I call them Google devta, Facebook devta, Twitter devta. These devatas are now the adhikaris and uh, the, the average person is bowing down like you bowed to the devatas in the past. Now you're bowing down and saying, oh, Twitter, don't ban me, don't shadow ban me. Uh, I'm a good guy. I'll comply with your protocol. Like you, pro pro like you comply with some very scary devata in the past, some deity who wants you to do this sacrifice and want to do all that. So now in the primitive societies, they used to do blood sacrifice and animal sacrifice and give up all kinds of things to please this devata uh, or what they called... Uh, gods and goddesses in their culture, uh, you know, now it seems like uh, we are scared. We are scared of Twitter Devta. My God, if Twitter Devta doesn't like me, you know, I'm in trouble. My whole reputation will go down. They could ruin my reputation. Whereas if Twitter Devta likes me, I'll be a hero. All the, my matrimonial value, value will go up. My job value will go up. My prestige value, my political value will go up. My movies will do better. Uh, the whole success of me it depends on what this Devta thinks of me. So I better be in their good books. So this is, this is ridiculous. I'm calling this the moronization of the masses. Means the masses are becoming morons. The masses are becoming morons. Buddhu, Buddhu people, dumbed down, because we are accepting the authority of this kind of an alien new force in our life. And this is, this is discussed in tremendous detail uh, in this book. What is this whole thing about how they are addicting us, how they are uh, understanding our, our, our information, our private data, hacking into our lives, because they, they, the natural language processing allows them to understand the meaning of what we are writing. So private mm -hmm. messages, whatever I'm writing, posts I'm putting up, they can understand, am I left wing, right wing? Am I older, younger person? Am I into this movie, that movie? What are my hobbies? What are my, who are my friends? What are I like? What makes me angry? What makes me happy? They're understanding and building a very complicated profile. And hmm. facial recognition, uh, you know, uh, can uh, allow people to go and look at social media, all the pictures people put up, who you are with, uh, are you hugging them? Is it a distant relationship? Is it a friendly relationship? Who are your friends and who are your friends' friends? Uh, what mm -hmm. is the social network? So, you know, and this hacking of uh, emails, 
uh, looking at uh, looking at the scandals you are involved in. What is some uh, you know uh, some kind of hanky panky you are doing that could be used for blackmailing you? So this business of uh, understanding uh, a whole population uh, better than social scientists of that country, uh, the AI-based machine learning systems know different communities in India and what are their hot buttons and how they can be mobilized to fight each other. Uh, they understand all that psychology, psychology better than India's social scientists. This is a shame. They, they, the, uh, uh, certain individuals, uh, like let's say Prachi, uh, systems understand more about you than your own parents and your good friends. Your, the AI, AI systems know you better than your best friends. I would say in some ways they know you better than you know yourself because you know it, the AI never forgets it has more memory. So it, yeah. all kind of things that you said and maybe things that you want to deny, things that you don't wish you said and things that you said long ago that you've forgotten but AI doesn't forget. So it's able to dig into your psyche and figure you out and that's what the genius of neural networks deep learning is all about. And once people understand that they are being hacked and they are voluntarily giving up all this data, they're making a fool of themselves. They're making a fool of themselves. Uh, this, is the, this is the scariest uh, new revelation or scariest thesis, part, the scariest part of my thesis uh, that I've exposed in this book, that the, the machines are getting smarter and people are getting dumber. They're getting dumber because they don't understand that in the garb of giving you free services, free email, free everything, they are the ones who are actually making trillions of dollars. Imagine the richest people in the world today and the largest and richest companies in the world today are giving things free. Wow. Imagine. <laughs> imagine that. Imagine giving things free. Mm -hmm. They're making the maximum amount of money. So why aren't smart people thinking about it? Why aren't smart people able to say, how is this happening? What is the secret? I mean, what is the secret? Mm -hmm. you know, this is brilliant. This is so brilliant that what is, what is happening, but it is making a fool out of the masses. And that is what I'm calling modernization of the masses, meaning make morons out of the masses. I know it's yeah. not a, everybody's very proud and saying, oh, I'm this tough guy and they can't do anything to me, but listen, the point is that they are able to influence what you buy. If they were not able to influence what you buy, the advertising would fail and they would lose money. They would go out of business. The reason these big companies are making money, more money than anybody else ever did, is because of their ability to convince you what to buy. Their ability to convince, if they can convince you what to buy, which holiday to go to, what people, person you should go on a dating or get married to, what kind of a political ideology you should uh, support, uh, they can, they're able to hack your brain. They're able to get into that. They're able to put in fake news to uh, uh, make you do things. Uh, they're able to post a certain news, maybe valid and boost it. And some other news which may be valid, not boost it and even suppress it. They're able to decide uh, what you should be fed, given your profile, given Prachi's profile of what kind of person Prachi is and what she likes, where she'll click, what she will not click, where she's vulnerable. So there is all these algorithms figuring out, okay, how do we hack into Prachi's mind? How do we hack on behalf of a uh, client? Uh, there's, a, there's an advertiser, there's a political party, there may be a church. Uh, there may be all kinds of people who want the social media to hack into 
Prachi's mind and make her think a certain way. So the systems, the AI systems are incredibly smart in doing that. And this is, this is something which is a human rights issue. This mm -hmm. is something that affects uh, social policy, not just the political policy, but social policy. And I don't think the leaders of India are sufficiently educated and sufficiently awake to this reality. Which leads me to a very simplistic question. Why is artificial intelligence so underhyped? If it's, if it's under our skin already, why, why don't we see it? Why can't we feel it? It's, it's, it's everywhere. Why so, is it underhyped? So I have a section in my book, mm -hmm. uh, which, call, which is called the aestheticization of power. It's called okay. the aestheticization of power, which means mm -hmm. that uh, this is actually a Marxist theory. Uh, they used to uh, uh, interpret how Hitler uh, got into power. And uh, they've, they've used it to interpret many kinds of power, uh, which people accept without fully understanding. So what it's trying to say, and you should read that, is quite complex, quite a detailed theory, which I've explained here. But in a nutshell, it, there's a certain way to sneak into your life without you knowing it, without you knowing it. It's like, it's called ambient AI, ambient AI which means it's all over the place. It's always, always there. Siri is always listening. Uh, these cameras are always watching and they are, they are able to do facial recognition and figure you out. And you're not conscious. It's not like there's an AI guy knocking at the door saying, hey, I'm AI, I'm here to look at you. It's not like that. But it's permeated all your shopping, all your Netflix watch, movies you watch, all your messaging that you're doing, all the uh, traffic lights uh, where they're capturing pictures uh, they are looking for uh, troublemakers and for uh, uh, known criminals and all that through facial recognition. So the use of AI is so ambient. I mean, people don't, uh, people don't realize when they use thumbprint to open their phone, that's an AI. Uh, the, because in the old days, you needed fingerprint experts and some human being would go do, do all these measurements and it would take a few days and they would match or tell you something about the fingerprint. Nobody needs to do that because AI can figure it out like that. AI can do... Face, not only facial recognition, but voice recognition, speech recognition, um, you know, image recognition, better than human beings, faster than human beings, cheaper than human beings. So this, uh, this uh, human intelligence of recognizing objects and voices and different kinds of things has been superseded by AI. So this gives the AI system a huge sensory ability, like senses, like Harvard senses. AI has got what they call sensors. There are billions of sensors today connected to AI systems, billions. And, and uh, your, your camera uh, on your phone is one of them. Uh, uh, where you push, uh, what, where you click, what you do is transmitted somewhere. Uh, where you are going, the traffic light is, uh, the CCTV camera is doing it. The number of sensors is so huge. And now the bandwidth to bring all of this big data and process it and figure things out is amazing. So this is why, and this is why it's important for these people to give you free things and be, look like they're very nice guys. Uh, they are very nice guys. We'll give you everything free. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, content is free. What else can you want? This is great. You can't afford to be outside this uh, connectivity because then you mm -hmm. get, nobody will know about you. So you have to mm -hmm. join because once you hit critical mass, once you hit critical mass of people who are members of this kind of a thing, then everybody else has to join. Because if you are not joining, you're an outsider and you will, you will suffer. You will suffer. So the, it's very difficult to defeat this system. 
because it's gone too far. It's gone too far. And so uh, the ambient, ubiquitous, ever-present AI is there, uh, uh, not only in surveillance, capturing the data about you, but also in using the profile, using your, the model about you back to influence you. You are both supplying the data to the AI system without knowledge, without being conscious, and you're taking instructions into your subconscious. You're taking instructions on what to do, what not to do. The, the AI systems are training you. So okay. Prachi is being trained by the system on what you do, what you don't do, what you like. Uh, and, and when you like certain things, you get rewarded. You know, so your, your rewards are governed by how you behave according to their idea of behavior. So this is a very huge problem. And I'm, and I'm surprised that uh, people are talking about global warming, which is a serious problem in climate control. And they're talking about genetically modified foods. And they're talking about water shortage. Those are all very important problems. But AI is a problem that requires as much discourse in society as any of those. But I don't see that. Yeah, we don't see it either. That's why we are here. Yeah. Um, so you've mentioned uh, one major battleground, which is very fascinating. It's, it's about the real clash between algorithms and being. Would you please elaborate on that? Yeah, so I have a huge, uh, <laughs> huge called uh, <laughs> algorithm versus algorithm and being. So, yeah. you know, I started with a philosophical, I'm a philosopher by habit, you know. Yeah. So I started asking as a physics person long ago, as a physicist and then computer scientist, one of the earliest metaphysical questions I've asked myself is, uh, is the cosmos an algorithm? The whole cosmos is an algorithm. Bhagwan ne algorithm banana. Okay. Is it Bhagwan's algorithm? Because uh, if, you, if you look at uh, how physics says, this is how electron will move mm -hmm. in a certain way, according to the conditions. So algorithm, the laws of physics, for an algorithm for a, an electron are like an algorithm which the electron is following it's sort of like nature has nature has algorithms it seems like so if the laws of physics are nature's algorithms in a sense they're, they're not man-made algorithms they're nature's own algorithms we can think of it like that uh, then the question is where is freedom because large part of nature is algorithmic I mean, the planets move a certain way. There are high tide, low tide. There is, you know, all kinds of uh, things you can, physics is able to predict certain outcomes very precisely. And that's because nature is behaving in an algorithmic way. It's not random. It's not chaos. It's algorithmic. And these algorithms mm -hmm. can be discovered. And then using these algorithms, you can also invent your own machines, your own uh, inventions. So that is what science and technology is all about. It's the discovery of nature's algorithms and then using those algorithms to make technology. So then the question is, what about being, the consciousness? Where is consciousness in all this? What is the relationship between consciousness and algorithm? That's what the, one of the major issues is. So one of, the, one of the battlegrounds is unfortunate for me. But I think in my next book, one book after this, I'm okay. showing how to counter that. I'm not, I'm not giving all the secrets in this book. I am raising issues, but I have a lot more to say than in this book. I'm writing some other books also. So one of the things I'm addressing in, a, in, in the next book has to do with this issue of uh, right now, algorithms are becoming very powerful. Uh, your tradition says that your, 
bliss, your anand, your joy should come from within. You should do yoga, you should do meditation, you should achieve a certain state of consciousness and that will give you your anand. That is what you should aspire for. That is what your tradition says, my tradition says. I've spent my whole life pursuing that. But now we are approaching a situation where you will be wearing augmented reality goggles and it will take you on a virtual holiday. It will, give you the, it will give you this excitement and that excitement. You will be sitting next to your favorite movie star and having a meal, you will think. And with wearables, you will have more and more experiences. With implants, Elon Musk has got these implants, the US military has got these implants going, China is developing these implants. So with all of this technology, you will be getting a lot of your, uh, your excitement, your gratification, your desires through external stimulation, mm -hmm. through AI-based, AI uh, machine learning-based uh, mechanisms that have figured you out, that have figured out what you need, when you need, how to make you happy, how to make you dance, how to make you cry, and all that. Yeah. This will have great applications. Some mental health problems will be solved. Depression, bipolar, PTSD in, in the military, all kind of things will be solved with uh, AI hacking into your brain to give you happy experiences. It will also have huge application for tourism. There will be virtual vacations. You will download the vacation and you will imagine that you're flying in the sky or you've gone to a moon or something like that. And, and so this business of fantasy will happen. Yeah. But as, as you become more dependent on AI to give you the experiences that you aspire for, you will start aspiring for these experiences. It will be habit forming. What does it do to your practice of yoga? What does it do to your meditation? Do you still need all that? Or maybe you don't even need all that. So some of these AI people are claiming that what the yogis took decades to do and what the rishis took hundreds of years to achieve, we'll plant a chip and give you that experience. So this is kind of artificial rishi in a sense. Yeah. Imagine, artificial consciousness. This is, this is very scary because what happens to the spiritual movement? What happens to spiritual movement? How do you counter if, if a guru says you come here, study this and do this practice and this and that and you'll get joy. And this AI system being marketed says, listen, you buy these goggles, you wear these gloves, you go do this implant and actually your life will be very happy. And all your friends who are doing it are saying, yeah, we're enjoying life. This is great. Uh, a lot of people will go in that direction. That is the new economy. That is why uh, Apple is selling at such a high multiple uh, because it's not 5G. It's because the future, the AI, AI, they are a platform for AI. That is why all these tech companies that are into AI are so rich because the knowledgeable people know that this is the future of entertainment, this is the future of defense, this is the future of you know, medical treatment. So as you solve human problems at a certain level using AI, then spirituality is or almost like it's out the window. You don't need it because, because the biological model of human beings, the mechanistic model of human beings has won. AI does not need anything to, AI does not depend on our knowledge of Advaita Vedanta or Veda. Mm -hmm. It does not. It, it, yep. So you see, this is a battle between algorithm and being. This is, the, this is the ultimate clash of civilizations. The ultimate clash of civilizations we're having right now is AI triggered battleground of, you know, algorithm versus being. So I have a whole lot written in this book on that matter. 
and I have a subsequent book coming, which takes this further and I give my solutions. Solution okay. is to stop AI, you're not able to do that. But I have some innovative ideas on how to, uh, how the spiritual movement can get ahead uh, with AI also there. Uh, this is my thought uh, that for which you'll have to wait for another book. Are we gradually transferring our Prarabdha, our uh, Purshat to machines? Is that the case? Yeah. So what is happening is, uh, you know, uh, we, we are, uh, there was a period in history when people mm -hmm. used to say everything God is doing. And, and God is making the rules and I'm just following what God says. Bride obedience to God. Then came this... Uh, uh, in, the, in Europe came this renaissance, scientific renaissance, scientific revolution, liberalism, humanism. When, when, uh, uh, the, the idea was that uh, human is in control of discovery. Humans discover and we have our own values and we come up with the meaning of the world. What is the world all about? We, we are going to discover it ourselves. It's not some God that some priest told us, but we're going to discover it for ourselves. So this help, helped uh, for the last 500 years. It brought a lot of discoveries, a lot of science. It moved forward. And now, now with AI is a kind of a new God. There's a new external authority that's going to tell me what my values should be. So it's almost like, uh, you know, the grand narrative is now becoming an algorithmic grand narrative. It's like an algorithmic grand narrative. This algorithm is going to constantly update and fine tune the grand narrative and there'll be a certain version for you and a certain version for other people. So people are, people are uh, becoming almost like slaves. There is a social merit system, like social, uh, social management system like karma, which is saying uh, you do good things and uh, the, the AI system remembers and you get a gift. Uh, you'll be sent on a holiday. Uh, and and if you run a traffic light or you're doing bad things and your camera showed you're pu pushing people and then, you know, your application for something will be denied. Um, some of it you don't even know. Like karma, we say that uh, because of bad karma, I fell down and because of good karma, I, ran, I got my lottery, I won a lottery. But I don't really know which karma caused what. I don't know that. Similarly, uh, China has pioneered this social system uh, based on AI, uh, kind of like Chinese government being the managers, the admin for karma. Uh, there's a Chinese Chinese country karma system that the government is managing your karma, telling you the right karma, wrong karma, giving you points, telling you what your product is, what phala you'll get. for If you do this karma, what's the fruit of that? So and so on. Now, you can't take it trivially because China is exporting, is exporting this to Pakistan. The Pakistani military is controlling the karma of uh, citizens to keep themselves in power. And China has uh, sent this uh, surveillance system to Zimbabwe, as an example, and, and uh, with all these thousands of cameras and uh, with facial recognition and natural language processing, they are helping the, the dictators stay in power and suppress the people. So what you are finding is China is spreading its footprint for this kind of a technology, which will allow it to decide who's going to rule. Who's going to rule in Pakistan? Who's going to be defeated? Because China has the weapon to uh, secure their authority. And if China doesn't like this particular ruler, they can get him out because they have scandals on him. They, have, they know all the scandals on him and they know how to compromise him also, how to blackmail him. So he'll stay honest. So this is why in this book I say, 
like the Rajas were made to fight each other by the British because the British knew how to make one win and how to make one lose. The British knew all the secrets. The British knew your vulnerabilities, your weaknesses, and the British used it to win over all of them. So now I see these uh, people in USA, some of these big uh, AI companies, and I see people in China uh, doing, playing this game with the whole world. And so, so the future is challenging. I, I, I want people who are smart like you to wake up and uh, figure this out and help, help. I'm trying to figure this out. I need good interns like you, many of them, because we have to not give up. We have to outsmart this whole thing on behalf of our civilization and, they, and keep our civilization moving forward properly. That's quite nice and reasonable. So um, one last, last question. Um, given all of this, given that we are already partially enslaved by AI, what is your message for the youth of India specifically? So I think the youth of India should become psychologically strong. Uh, my problem is that they're too weak. They don't, want to, they don't want to know the truth, the facts, if it's uncomfortable. They want to just mm -hmm. feel good and go into escapism. I have so many people who say, Rajiv, sir, uh, why are you spoiling my feel good? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> rather that I feed them what will make them feel good. Uh, but, you know, the, 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 the uh, crisis that we face as humanity, not just India, but here as humanity, is multifaceted. We have so many other problems. AI is actually helping solve some of those problems and helping make some of those problems worse. Uh, AI is a mind amplifier. It's like it amplifies your mind. Like a, a car amplifies your physical body. Like a machine amplifies your physical body. And so whatever you could do now with that machine, you could do better. So similarly, AI amplifies your mind. It, it gives you more memory. It gives you more capability. You can track more things. You can figure out more algorithms. So the AI can be used by a good mind for good things, and it could be used by a bad mind for bad things. This is true. And so the balance between good and bad people is going to be disrupted because here comes a weapon. Somebody will know how to use it. Somebody will not know how to use it. You see, so each time a new device comes, the equilibrium between opposing forces gets disrupted because they don't have equal use of it. Some people have more use of it. Some people have less use of it. So I, I want the youth of India to become very knowledgeable, not only this techni technical job of writing programs in AI and doing low level work, which a lot of people are doing, but become very conscious of the social implications. What are the social implications? How does it affect your culture? How does it affect the politics? How does it affect conflicts? Will somebody else be deciding that I'm going to fight with you and because they'll put in some message that will make me angry at you, you know, and, and make me suspicious about you. So who's going to do the divide and rule of the future? Like the British did the divide and rule of the Rajas to fight each other. So India, the young people of India are very smart, but they are sleeping. They need mm -hmm. to wake up and they need to become more aware of all this, take charge, and I would love to have more people like you who, are, who want to be interns. I would love to have uh, regular Google, Zoom hangouts, Google hangouts, whatever you want, whatever hangouts you want. I, uh, once, there's, once the COVID is gone and we are vaccinated, I'd love to come to India and have hundreds of gatherings. I want to do all that for the youth of India. My book is dedicated to the young scientists and technocrats. That's fun. Because they are the future. And this is your future, it's not my future because I'll be gone. Okay, nothing going to affect me. I'm okay. But it is your future. And, and therefore, you have to take control of that future. Okay. Thank you so much for spending your time and 
speaking with me and sharing all these insights from your new book. Um, I really hope more and more people, I, I wouldn't say like me, but yeah, more and more youth of India get motivated, get access, get, uh, get a copy of your book, basically. So I want to say that uh, uh, if you go to www.aiandpower.com, aiandpower.com, aiandpower.com, that's the book website. Uh, it'll give you, uh, we're populating it more and more information. Right now, there's only some information, but we put up more videos and we put up more stuff. And it'll tell you how to buy. You can buy in India, you can buy in UK, you can buy in USA, uh, you, can, you can buy a Kindle copy, uh, all of that, it'll tell you. So it's one-stop shopping for all the information about artificial intelligence, the future of power, the future of society, and the future of you. Okay. Thank you so much. And I just want to remind my listeners, uh, I love these conversations with bright young people. Uh, and so do not, uh, you know, she may be a little shy and so on, but uh, I'm telling you, she's very smart. I've talked to her quite a lot before accepting her as my intern. And so uh, do, uh, if, you are, if you are a person who has a tremendous interest, good work ethic, hard working, uh, want to understand these things, want to join, then you can contact me by email. And namaste to all of you.